welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast, and I was working on the assumption that this was number 176, but no, it's 175. Doesn't take much to throw me off. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, and the first thing I need to report on is the COVID vaccination, which my son came through with just the one scream. I think it would have been worse had there not been three of his schoolmates there. A weekly hike this Saturday took us to the estuary town of Dumbarton, a nice place with lots of rocks surrounding it. Some great views from the top as it wasn't cloudy. I think the highlight was that we saw a couple of llamas, which wouldn't be that unusual because there are plenty on farms, but these llamas were tearing around a housing estate with an exasperated few people trying to catch them. I didn't really realise how fast llamas are, those things can move. It drew quite a crowd, but we kept walking, mainly because we were all hungry. I also managed to somehow get a sinus infection that made my nose swell. It's big enough without it getting even bigger, and I felt like I was in some kind of cartoon. Anyway, that's improving now as well. I'm also happy that baseball season starts this week in both the majors and the minors, although most of the minor league games start a bit too late for me with the time zone differences. So, who are our guests this week? Well, we have five interviews, although three of them are quite short conversations from the Scottish Speciality Food Show. We spoke with Mark Saunders, director of the organisers of the show, Springboard Events. We had a conversation with Callum McInnes, managing director of the Island Smokery, and also with Emma Johnson, sales and marketing manager at the Buffalo Farm. We also have interviews with Jorgensen Engineering CEO Kenneth Bowmadsen and Jesper Johansson, Marketing Manager, and with NZMP GM of Digital Transformation, Francis Reed. We also have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland at StoneX. And that means it's time for our roundup of the news you may have missed from the past seven days. Because we're now in a new month, we had our monthly look at some of the new products launched in March, and we also had the Maxim Foods April Global Dairy Update. Sure Flexibles introduced antibacterial coating on films. Tesco, Arla and Moola increased milk payments to British dairy farmers as prices rise. And Milkobel published its 2021 results. Arla says it sees a great future for business in Bangladesh. Saputo has completed a solar project in the UK, and the Rumiano Cheese Company has switched over to organic. Valio and Atria have piloted a DSM feed additive. TH True Milk has launched a new snack drink, and Greenpeace says the latest IPCC report shows action is needed on the New Zealand dairy industry. Tate & Lyle is acquiring a Chinese dietary fiber business, Elopac and Nippon Paper agreed an Oceania license, and Ingredian has debuted some new clean-label native rice starches. You can read all of these and plenty more at DairyReporter.com. So, as we've got quite a few interviews to get through today, let's get going. We'll start with the Scottish Speciality Food Show, which took place at the end of March in Glasgow, here in Scotland. 
It's not a huge show, but it's definitely interesting. There was everything you could possibly imagine in there, from souvenirs to clothes. But of course, I was there for the food section. It took me a while to realize that they were all grouped together, and that they were all at the back, so I probably walked up and down about 20 aisles that weren't relevant to me, but it was still enjoyable. I saw some really neat new products, and had a few interesting conversations. At least one or two of them were instigated by me wearing a baseball cap, but I won't say which team. Anyway, we have three interviews from the show, and here's the first one about cheese on the beautiful Orkney Islands. Those are the ones that are just off the northeast of Scotland, not quite as far as the Shetland Islands. They're about on the same longitude as Norway, and about 700 miles from London. And to put that into context, that's about the same distance as London to Austria. So, geography lesson over, let's hear about the island smokery from the company's managing director, Callum McInnes. So, yeah, could you tell me a bit about... Orkney. Yeah, well, we're a group. I'm chairman of the Orkney Food and Drink Group, uh, and we try to go to trade shows like this on a regular basis throughout the year uh, in England and in Scotland. This is a key one in Scotland for us. Uh, my company, I own the Island Smokery, we produce smoked and flavoured cheddars. We've been going now for just under 18 years. Um, we cover most of Scotland at the minute, and we're now looking to branch into England. We did have some export business, but with Brexit and with COVID. We're back to square one with that, so we're concentrating on the UK market at the minute. Right. And what kind of cheeses do you have? Uh, we do 10 different flavours. We do It's all cheddar based. The cheddar that we use is the most highly prized cheddar in the British Isles. Uh, we, we, we cut it, we grate it, uh, we add flavouring to it. We, we have, we have chilli, cracked black pepper, red onion, um, many different flavours. We do a Christmas spice one at Christmas time, cranberry one. Um, and we predominantly do a, 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 just a plain smoked cheddar, which uh, goes into all farm foods and deli shops and uh, supermarkets as well. Is it local milk? It's all Orkney milk. That's one of our USPs. It's all Orkney milk. There's no milk brought into the island. So our milk in Orkney is renowned for being the best because our, our, our climate for the grass is, is as it should be. Uh, the cattle are in grass for a long time. They're very, very well fed. Good grass gives you good milk gives you good cheese because it's on an island I remember talking to somebody from one of the Estonian islands and Uh they said that because the flora was different yes the milk tasted different yes do you have the same thing definitely it's it's got a high cream content very high cream content Uh, and you generally find if you've come from the mainland and had milk down here you come north it's the the semi-skim milk almost feels like full cream milk you know (laughs) so it's very very good milk yeah yeah Yeah. and uh, where is it sold uh, well, we sit, we, we've got it in uh, Morrison Supermarket, we're in the co-op, uh, but we're in an awful lot of farm food deli shops, uh, House of Brewer, um, Brody Country Fair, uh, mo- mo- most small delis have a sample of our product. We sell it through, there's two or three good wholesalers in Scotland, and we sell it through the main wholesalers in Scotland. Alright, and uh, what your newest product you were mentioning? Yeah, we've got a, a new cheese, it's a Burnside cheese it's called, it's a Burnside farm cheese, and it's a, it's a farmhouse cheese, so it's a, a new cheese. So you, you make it one day and you can sell it the next. It's, whereas our other cheeses are matured for 14 months. So it's quite a different animal for us. The only issue we have with it at the minute is a very short shelf life. It's only got a three week shelf life. But uh, we're looking to improve on that uh, as time goes on. But it's, it's very new and this is the first time it's actually been out at a show. So. All right. And what, what kind of cheese is it? Is it like a cooking cheese? or is it's, it? uh, Yeah, well it's, it's like a paneer, you know, or like a halloumi. 
uh, and you can use it in the same sort of way. Um, but we've actually got quite a few restaurants now on the island who are using it in their menus uh, for that sort of thing. You know. Right. And how's the show been? It's been okay. It's been okay. It's, it's been great to actually have face-to-face meetings with people again and get away from Zoom. And we've met an awful lot of our existing customers who we've not seen for nearly two years. So, so that's been fantastic. Um, and there's been two or three uh, new com- companies came along as well. So, all in all, not too bad. No, it's certainly worth being here. Certainly worth being here. Now we're switching species to buffalo and we're headed south to the kingdom of Fife and to the buffalo farm which sells buffalo products such as ice cream and mozzarella. To tell us more is the company's sales and marketing manager, Emma Johnson. So uh, yeah, if you could just give me a bit of background on the company. Sure. So we're the buffalo farm. We're based at Kokodi in Fife. We've uh, got our own herd of buffalo, water buffalo, and uh, since uh, 2005 uh, they've been growing the herd and trying to develop uh, a range of products that we can um, add value to the farm with. So we've just launched a buffalo mozzarella, which we won best product for at the show on Monday, which has been fantastic for us, and we do a range of ice cream and uh, buffalo meats as well, all made on farm using milk from our own herd. Where are the products available? At the moment, we do use a couple of distributors, which is uh, another reason that we're here at the show, because we want to extend the uh, distribution network and look for new partners to to hook up with so that they can then take distribution further afield for us. So we're using Cresco, Parks, Loman Foods, who are taking the ice cream and the mozzarella, and Brayhead. We've got uh, four distributors that that we're currently working with. Do you sell from the farm location we as well? We do, yeah. We have a farm shop, uh, the Bothy at Boglilly. So we have farm shop and restaurant there where customers come, come and try uh, try the mozzarella, try the ice cream, have a meal in the restaurant, see. Uh, we've got various animals, uh, buffalo, we've got go- uh, pygmy goats, emus. So it's sort of a family day out, really. It's quite, quite fun for everybody. Uh, but yeah, they can taste a whole range of produce there. We've got various meats that we use, um, obviously buffalo and sheep. The, the flavours of buffalo ice cream, does it taste different to regular ice cream? It does, yeah, there's, there's subtle differences to the ice cream. Uh, the, the fat content of the buffalo milk is much richer than normal cow's milk, so we don't have to add any cream to it. So you instantly get a really, really rich um, depth of flavour and a smoothness to it. We have a pure flavour, which is just the pure buffalo milk. We don't add anything to, to that, so it's a very natural um, flavour, which has been really popular. People wanting to just taste the milk, and uh, it's, it's been a real winner for us. Do you sell the milk as well? or We can do it from the farm, yeah. We don't mm. distribute, uh, use distributors for that, but yeah, we do sell the milk from the farm. All right, so yeah. you've got all kinds of products what's the what's the future hold then are they are you you always developing new products or is it really yeah yeah i mean it's very early stages for us we're kind of a year into production for the mozzarella and the ice cream now so this is the the stage where we're looking at getting that out to to market further afield but we are looking constantly looking at new product development Um, but we really want to establish the mozzarella that's kind of been the uh the dream to get them a be Scotland's first mozzarella producer, buffalo mozzarella producer, and uh, uh, get that out there. So we're hoping to ramp up production of that and then expand into other products, maybe a burrata, looking at possibly ricotta or maybe a brie, but uh, it's all all for uh, up for discussion at the moment. 
Yeah. Well, the last two years have been dominated by pandemic, so it probably wasn't good timing anyway. Yeah, I think it's, it's been challenging um, all round really for everybody. With the, the Buffalo Farmers obviously had lots of ups and downs. Um, people have been um, following uh, the story uh, from This Farming Life that they were featured on. Um, a few years back and um, yeah I think with Covid it's been a, a nice opportunity to uh, have a look at, at what we're doing, at the possibilities that are out there for new products and to really hone the skills that we have and to get the, the recipes quite you know, spot on now so that we can get it out there to market and get people trying it and hopefully enjoying it and buying it when they see it now. To get an overview of the show, I also had a chat with Mark Saunders, director of the organisers of the show, Springboard Events. The first question is, it's good to be back doing shows. Indeed, yeah, no, we're delighted to be back. It's been a long time coming. Um, uh, it's the, the, the longest period of time I've ever had to organise a show. Um, but the, the last time we ran it was in January 2020. We obviously couldn't run it last year in 2020, January 21. Uh, had to postpone. January 22 so uh, yeah no I think we, we are certainly delighted and I think everybody else is delighted to be able to get back and seeing each other again yeah and what's the history of the show yeah, originally it was a, a two or three different shows in different locations at slightly different times of the year which over the years has sort of kind of all come together to create you know one big event which look caters for the fashion and accessories apparel market on one side the home and gift um, on the other side and then speciality food and drink as well which is perhaps the sort of more recent uh, element which probably in the last 10 years or so has, has come together and the reasons behind that were um, that a lot of shops were sort of starting to sell a, a much broader mix of products so for instance in the food area if you take a farm shop very often there's a strong home and gift offering from a gift point of view there's a speciality food and drink offering food and drink as, as well as the cafe so you draw a Venn diagram of your different buyers, etc., who touch on this show, and in the middle there's quite a big percentage now that are, are, are touching on all, all, all areas. So it uh, uh, gives it kind of sort of much more scale and breadth appeal for buyers, etc., and the opportunity to find new product, which is, is really the kind of core reason for coming. And quite a lot of new companies here as well. Yeah, yeah, we have. Well, we, we work very hard on that, and we provide a an area that area that runs down the middle of the show, which is um, about 50 or 60 stands for brand new companies, so up to about a year old. We give them a platform to show off what they're doing and, and make it easy for the buyers to find them and to see what they're doing as well. And those companies can stay in those stands for a couple of shows um, and then after that we hope they've sort of built up their business uh, well enough to be able to move on and allow newer companies to come in and, and so so that conveyor belt of new products and new suppliers carries on. Mm, a good opportunity for companies to expand and meet new buyers and that kind of thing. Yeah, it is, and, and there's lot you know there's lots of reasons why companies do exhibitions, um, but I guess the primary one is to find new suppliers. You know, once you've got a supplier, you should be able to maintain that relationship. Wouldn't necessarily need a show apart from the opportunity to say hello to them, um, but it's it's finding those new new buyers, and that works both ways. So from a buying buying side, it's it's looking for new suppliers and new products, etc., to keep their shelves fresh and you know, new stock, etc., to keep their customers excited. And in terms of the, the size of it, is, are there more stand, uh, more booths than there not, were last not year? Not this year, no. no. The, the, uh, the pandemic has, uh, has reduced things um, a fair bit, so overall we're about 20% down in terms of the numbers of the companies. Um, 
part of that was due to the pandemic, part of that was due to having to move the dates to, to March. So no, we're smaller. The audience is smaller this year. Um, so we'll be looking to hopefully grow things back up over the next year or so to the kind of levels that we had before, assuming market conditions, market conditions allow. Mm, although I, I suppose it, it, even if it's a bit smaller and there are less people, it could mean that you're getting a more targeted audience and it could be just as good in some yeah, respects. Yeah, I mean, you, you, inevitably what you'll do is, you know, at any, any exhibition there will be a percentage of the audience who you know, are coming for a visit but may not be there in a kind of core buying capacity. So you probably lose a number of those people, but that's okay. You know, as long as you're getting the kind of people who make the buying decisions and are placing orders, etc., that's what these companies are here for. Mm. Uh, and that would mean we're doing our job well. Yeah. And as you were saying before, it's the, the timing isn't optimal because you've had to move it. Yeah, the timing's been very difficult. We, we, we had no choice, um, and that a because you couldn't run events in January uh, in Scotland at the time. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a window, and unfortunately we couldn't get new dates in the halls because they were busy with other things going on. Um, and the earliest we could get was where we are now at the end of March. Um, and it, it, you know, it's worked okay for some, etc. but overall it's, it's later than we would all like. So the, uh, not only does the attendance drop a bit, but the volume of buying will drop a bit as well. Um, but the important thing was being able to run the show and for as many suppliers and buyers as possible to be able to get together, start re-establishing contact, because many of them haven't seen you know, their buyers or their, 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 their suppliers for quite a long time now, so it's a good chance for those relationships to get restarted. Next, we go to an interview with Jorgensen Engineering, a Danish headquartered company that is expanding into the U.S., to tell us all about it is CEO Kenneth Bo Madsen and later in the interview, Jesper Johansson, Marketing Manager. So I guess the first and most obvious question is if you could tell me something about Jorgensen, the company. Jorgensen, the, the company is a company founded back in 1933. And the story behind it is actually quite interesting. Uh, you need to know the story before you actually can talk about the future. But uh, our founder was actually uh, raised here at the beautiful island Fyn and actually starting to be an engineer. And after his uh, education, he went to a short while to Germany, came back to Denmark and actually took uh, over the sea, the big sea to the United States. And actually was working over there for almost 10 years before he came back and founded the company uh, in 1933. So the company today is actually grown to be what we call a line integrator, but we have been on a journey uh, all the years where we actually have been quite flexible in actually going into to what was needed in the market. At first, it was uh, around uh, all the food, and that has been the core, more or less, and also is that to today. We started up with a few machines and actually provided solutions and that has actually built the, the company up to what it is today. So today we say we are a line integrator, uh, meaning that uh, we have some key machines we are working with. We uh, work with uh, three angles into the markets. We have some products, uh, key machines, we have some services, and then actually we make solutions together with the customer. And that's actually what we mean is a, a line integrator. If we look at the segments we are working in today, 
I mentioned uh, food. We are also in pet food, especially in, in, in UK. We have the farming healthcare uh, segment. And then uh, some of the questions today is uh, around the infant, uh, which uh, is uh, one of the latest uh, success we have moved into for the last almost five to 10 years, as it is right now. Last year, we actually also uh, looked into to EV, where we actually also have an approach into the EV market, upcoming uh, EV market. And that has something to do with the sustainability approach also. What is it that you do with and for dairy companies? For dairy companies, just to specify that, uh, it's a milk powder, an infant formula. And uh, we have uh, specialized us in everything about the handling equipment, handling lines. It's, uh, again, about the, the product where we have the key machine services and solutions. So typical when, when uh, we are addressed uh, of uh, one of the... One of our customers, uh, they, they actually go for the big solution where we actually can provide the line integrator, connect all the machines and actually get the line uh, running. We can uh, take the best machines uh, to the job and we have the experience about that. That's the part we are working in in, in dairy companies. And I think uh, if we look a bit more into to, to that uh, and what our customer is looking for, it's... Uh, one point uh, of contact and uh, when they say that we actually try to angle from a, a, another direction where we say we have all in-house in-house engineering we have good products which are actually up to date and uh, the best for the dairy companies as it is right now in the part we are working at and that's of course we we have the knowledge regarding robotic systems we can work in three brands, so it's not necessary only one brand and you have to take it or leave it. So we have the ability to actually work in, in three brands. Then, of course, we are working uh, regarding cleaning and uh, sterilization systems. And that's a must today when I say the, the QA and vision systems. And then actually last year, we developed the state of the art within uh, laser printing. And that was uh, adding on to socialization, uh, which we have done uh, for, for some years uh, right now. And then if we go a bit more down in what I call low technology and look into the, the equipment there, we, of course, have all the conveying systems, uh, depalletizer, palletizer systems available also. We, we are able to actually handle everything in-house. We have all the competences, and especially today, where we're not just talking about uh, standard steel and components, we are actually also talking about all the automation going around a line like like that. And then, of course, when, when we leave a project or dairy companies in general, it's actually the ability to be there afterwards also. So we have developed what we call a line care concept, which simply is we maintain your, your line. We keep it up and running to that efficiency we actually provided when we left the company. And if it's possible, we also have the possibility to actually monitor it. We actually looked into what we call uh, working with the global leaders in infant and dairy. We work with companies like Nestlé, Danone, just to, to mention a few ones. If you want a Danish one, we are working with Arla, which also is a, a global company, and Abbott. And you mentioned the fact that the company's been in existence since the 1930s. Things have changed drastically since then how is automation evolving currently well, that's a very good uh, question and thank you for for, for that uh, i think automation has been a part of the dna from the beginning 
And of course, you can say the development from 1933 until now that that has been some 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 journey. If you try to to look into that journey, it has been in steps of typical five to ten years, coming from being a very small company to the size of the company we have today. One of the things when I say it's the DNA is actually our skills, our competences to actually look for new technologies, new things uh, into the market, including uh, the automation. One of the newest uh, things we have been working with for a few years now is uh, when we say automation, we typically look into a machine who can do something uh, by itself. But we actually take it a bit further, a step further than, than that. Uh, already in the process when we uh, are talking uh, and in dialogue with our customers, we have the ability and uh, the knowledge regarding uh, making simulation where we actually can show something visual, how their line will run, and we can document the possibilities also. So just moving from a drawing into a world of bits and bytes where you actually can see your, your line is a possibility today. And after we have decided to, or the customer and I, we have decided to, to go move on, we also have the ability to actually go into what we call emulation. And emulation uh, is the newest thing on the market and means that we can actually invite our customers into a virtual world and they can go around in that virtual world and actually push bottom, look how their line is working, see from the operator's angle how the line with, uh, will work uh, and so on. We talked about civilization. Very important thing uh, which coming up, and we can actually feel that uh, from our customers as it is right now, both in Europe uh, and the rest of the world, especially US, that has been a case uh, right now, is the traceability. And of course, uh, everybody uh, is interested in and having a very high efficiency in their line and also have that uh, documented. And then, of course, we, we uh, use all the smartest tool technologies uh, in the market. That's the part of the DNA to be at Jørgensen. We have to be curious and we need to actually be in the edge of the technology so we can actually say, okay, what can we provide into our segments? And that's maybe also why we are working in these segments today, because there's a big difference in working from food to EV industry. What is common is actually we, we look into new technologies and there's technologies in each industry and then we can actually pick the best and actually transfer that into to a new segment also. And I guess one of the things, especially in the food industry, that people are interested in right now is sustainability. How does what you do and the automation, how does that help with some of the issues around sustainability? I've been on board this company for almost two years as it is right now. And it's not that we haven't been working with sustainability over the years because just working with lines, uh, automation in general, actually also provides value to that part. But what we have done to start from the top is actually looked into to our strategy and updated our strategy. So we are working with, with the three things in our strategy. That's people, planet and profit. Many uh, companies today uh, use this uh, doing good while doing business. That's more or less what we have done for many, many years. The questions we get from our customers uh, today uh, is, of course, 
how are you working with the sustainability? And that was also the question here. And sustainability is actually providing a line where we actually try to reduce energy consumption into it. And, and in that way, actually minimize the climate impact we have today. And that's actually something we, we actually do when we provide a, a line. We, we take it apart and we only use components in the line who is actually the, the best in the market. It's not uh, necessarily the cheapest. It's also about uh, what Jorgensen is. It's about trust. So when we say we go to sustainability, we also have some kind of statements and a, a way to go. So so we use these things. They don't have to ask. They can make control if they want that, but uh, that's not necessary as it is right now. So that actually uh, gives us the, the, the most uh, efficiency uh, handling solutions in the market as it is right now. Then we can add value to that uh, by uh, using uh, what we call a, a segment a data collection. We, we can pick up the data and we can use it, uh, as I mentioned before, in, in our simulation emulation. So data collection is actually the proof afterwards that we, we have the most efficiency uh, things. So it's not just in, in, in talk, it's actually also uh, what we do and we can prove it afterwards. Then I just have to make a short uh, comment also because as I mentioned, the, the strategy is uh, people, planet, and, and profit. Uh, and regarding people, the, the most important people for the company is exactly our employees and our customers. And that's something uh, to do with trust. And we also need to do something more regarding to sustainability regarding that one. So just uh, looking into what we do, how we do it, and try to, to reach out for the newest Technology knowledge in, in that field also is something we do through our uh, employees, through our customers, and then, of course, through our stakeholders uh, and, and uh, owners. Uh, and you know probably our, our owner today, which is uh, the Swedish company, uh, Sano uh, Group uh, in, in, in Sweden. So we try to pick uh, all the knowledge around and try to incorporate that in our products, uh, services, and, and, and solutions uh, once more. So it's a part of our mindset. And you also mentioned energy. I think that's something that seems to be hugely important right now as we see through the conflict in Ukraine, energy's become hugely important. Raw materials are getting more expensive. Can automation help in with things like that? It can really help. And uh, yes, if any company, Jørgensen, is actually... Uh, not even see the mountain. Uh, we are actually on the mountain and trying to, to climb up. And that, that's tough. And of course, when we are in, in, in dialogues with, with our customers and those projects we are running through uh, right now, the concern is actually uh, right now, uh, the prices is rising uh, no matter where you, you look. You mentioned raw material. Yes, we have raw material who has actually more than doubled uh, over the last year, but actually especially over the uh, last month uh, because of this crisis uh, we have in Europe, as it is right now, uh, has gone go through the roof. And of course, the energy is, uh, is one of them. So based on that, uh, we, of course, have our product. It's not something we need to go out and actually develop uh, to, to our customers. That the point uh, we can uh, add value to our customers is actually look into reduce the factory's lead times. And that's very important for them because if they can cut a shift, they can actually decide when to run the shift. And that could actually be on the most efficient uh, shift that could be in, in nighttime or in daytime. 
So if we can get the speed into the lines, and we are quite good in high speed, high volume, then there will be something to, to gain from, uh, from our customers. And then, of course, uh, another thing uh, which has come up over the, the last year, year and a half, is actually look more into flexibility. So high speed, high volume, but actually also adding flexibility means they can save time. And again, that will reduce lead time uh, for the products. Then we can actually start talking about efficiencies as we just have done. And then the uptime, which is uh, so important uh, to, to reduce uh, errors and, and waste. And that has something to do with the data collection. So we know when we take the data collection, what went wrong, where did it went uh, wrong, at what time. And then we can actually more or less document precisely what happened and do something about it. And that's uh, the, the key point, because one thing is what the human eye sees when they, they actually operate a line like that. Another thing is what we can measure, and that's the possibility uh, going into the digital world uh, as it is right now. And of course, you've just expanded into the US market. What does that mean for both your company and for the companies that you'll be working with there? For Jürgens, the, the most important thing is to, to add value. And I will say that's the reason we are back in, in, in the US. We have been there. Our former has been there, as I mentioned in the beginning of this interview. We have been there since the, the 19s, uh, as it is uh, right now. And uh, one of the things we, we have uh, worked with that idea is, uh, okay, we have companies, it's over the sea. But the attention, the, the, the way we have the dialogues, also because of the time zones and so on, was actually not that relationship we, we wanted. So one of the things uh, we have done and decided is actually be present in the U.S. And then you can say why. That's one of the reasons I just explained that. But how does the customer actually add value uh, of Jorgensen in, in U.S.? I think, and I have been uh, working in the U.S. for some years, U.S. Uh, compared to Europe uh, is in another stage. They are ready for automation, but it has been typical in the mechanical automation approach where we here in Europe, because of uh, salaries, has been more focused on uh, actually bringing it to, to the next level, using a lot of robots uh, in our production, trying to remove people from our production, especially when we are talking about food, infant, and so on. It has been necessary because of all the, the contaminations and so on to remove as much as people uh, from the production uh, as possible. So we have been forced in to actually develop maybe a decade before the U.S. actually came on. And you can see company who's actually much more in front than a company like Jorgensen in, in the U.S. But if you look into the general market, especially in the food, we have something to go in with. And we can actually be a part of transforming uh, this uh, more automation approach where we actually do something good for the, the, the customer, the product, make it more efficiently and actually also uh, are able to, to measure uh, everything as it is right now. And then... And that's the most important thing for me. We we need to contain and actually strengthen the, our relationships to our customers also. And that's uh, something about uh, being uh, closer to, to, to our U.S. Uh, customers as it is right now. 
We have been there for some months uh, as it is right now. We have prepared this. It's just not uh, some kind of good idea and then we do it. It's a part of our strategy. So we have prepared this for almost two years. Now we are settled. Uh, we can already uh, feel here and actually also uh, get the attention from our customers. It's nice uh, to be present. Some of these misunderstandings uh, and time zone difference uh, which has appeared in, 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 in the past is actually more or less uh, going to close to zero. And we are starting building up stronger uh, relationships uh, with our uh, good old customers. We just mentioned one of our customers, uh, Tesra Park, which is present in the house today. And I've just been to, to a quite interesting meeting with them uh, where they actually say, now you are in, in the U.S. and we are also present in the U.S. So now we start developing this one together also. So it's based on relationship. There's another example. I heard yesterday we, we were talking with this big Spanish customer. And uh, we mentioned that we are now at present uh, in, in the U.S. and they have a subsidiary in the U.S. and say, okay, that's fine. We, then we would like to upgrade us as a potential supply in U.S. because of this presence. Now it's to New Zealand and the awkward time difference, but we managed to find a time that wasn't too bad for either of us. And the subject of the interview with NZMP GM of Digital Transformation, Francis Reed, is the MyNZMP platform. So I guess the first thing is if you could fill me in as to what MyNZMP is. Yeah, well, I think the starting point would be to describe what NZMP itself is for those of your listeners who aren't aware of that. So NZMP is the ingredients and solutions brand for Fonterra Cooperative Group. And my NZMP is really our industry leading B2B e-commerce website or the, the digital interface for our ingredients customers. So it's a platform that we've built that enables our customers to come in to buy products directly from us, but also to self-service information about our products, to get insights, and also to manage their orders, whether they've bought it through that platform or not. So it's really kind of an integrated digital platform for our NZMP customers. So what was the reasoning behind introducing my NZMP? There's two reasons that we chose to introduce this and to develop the platform ourselves. The first was based on interviews and conversations with our customers. So it was identifying areas where we could make it, frankly, easier to do business with us, to address their pain points through a digital tool. So that was the sort of departure point. And we got a shopping list of things that our customers were telling us that they'd like us to do better or that they'd like us to make easier using digital tools. But I think the second reason or rationale for going down this path was simply seeing what was happening in other industries. And we're all aware of this. I mean, we all carry our smartphones with us. We all do our banking online. We manage our insurance policies online. We buy things through e-commerce stores. This is where the human race has gone. And so you see the big numbers in terms of transactions that are taking place through business-to-business -business platforms like this now. And you know, you'd be blind not to see that that's sort of the future of the industry. So I think it's both of those departure points really led to us building this platform for our customers. And in terms of companies using it, what are the benefits for them? Well, there's a few benefits. And I think the starting point is that we're building this so that it is easy and convenient for our customers to do business with us. So it's explicitly 
designed for our existing customer base. So this isn't a platform we've built to prospect for customers who don't have a relationship with us. So what customers are able to do when they log into MyNZMP is they immediately have all of their order history in front of them. They've got the ability to manage the orders that they have with us. But also when they come to buy product, it's filtered so that they can see products that they've bought before from us rather than wading through our extensive ingredient specification guide. And so what they're getting is the gift of time and the gift of convenience to do the simple transactional things that it's easy to self-service for. And what that means is when they're then talking to our sales teams around the world, they're actually able to focus on the conversations that matter rather than the transactional things that they can do for themselves. So it's really based around a proposition of ease and convenience. Yeah, and I guess the fact that it's online means that it's 24-7 as well, which would be a big help. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it's important to kind of remember that we're sort of positioning this and believe that this is an industry-leading platform. So we're not aware of other dairy companies who've got a platform that offers as comprehensive and as personalized a range of services for customers. There are certainly lots of other dairy companies selling ingredients online or offering certain services online, but we believe that this is industry leading. And it's it's not the first time that Fonterra has gone down the path of something that's innovative in this space. You and your listeners are probably well aware of the global dairy trade auction platform that was established by Fonterra back in 2008. And at that time, that was an industry leading move to have an online platform in that way. And that's still very important to us in our business for selling that basic range of ingredients in a really price discoverable way. But we're offering something slightly different through MyNZMP, which is a a wider range of products, a wider range of services. But that principle of being innovative and constantly looking for new ways to service the needs of our customers, it's kind of the same philosophy that was there with GDT that we've got underpinning the development of MyNZMP as well. How easy is the platform to use? You don't need a PhD in computer science or anything to be able to use it. No, and that's actually crucial because we're looking at something that is easy for customers to adopt and to use. And our expectation isn't based upon difficult and hard to use procurement systems. Rather, it's the fact that all of us are consumers. We're all used to what B2C platforms, what everyday platforms are offering us in the digital space. So that was sort of really our benchmark was thinking, What can you do when you want to buy a new toaster online? What can you as a consumer do when you're trying to manage your bank accounts online? And how easy and intuitive is that? And if we're not able to sort of benchmark ourselves against those types of companies and experiences, then this won't be meeting that customer need. So it's very intuitive to use, but also to make sure that that transition from things being serviced mostly by account managers to actually some customers being mostly serviced through this digital channel. We've been doing it so that it's really guided by the sales teams as well. So the accounts who've been transitioned onto this platform and who are doing some things through this platform, they're helped and and guided through that process by the sales teams. But the feedback we've had from them is that it's pretty intuitive, which is exactly what we want to hear. I guess you're mentioning the fact that it moved some of this online. It must take a bit of pressure off some of the sales teams as well, then, I guess. Yeah, it does. I mean, there's definitely that upfront investment of making sure that the customers are comfortable with this because there's still that relationship that you want the accounts to maintain with their account managers. So it's not that we're completely cutting off that connection, but ultimately what it delivers once you've made that transition is 
a lot of what used to be managed via an account manager, the customers can self-manage in a more convenient way for them. And that actually does mean that our account managers are able to focus on things like introducing new products to customers or entering longer strategic partnerships with customers rather than simply the repetitive activities of sending out quotes for products that a customer has already bought hundreds of times in the past and, and knows very, very well. So it's really making the job more exciting for those account managers, but also meaning that they're able to have more interesting and value-added conversations with customers. Who is it really aimed towards? NZMP, Fonterra Ingredients customers, there's a full range of customers from very small ingredients users through to some of the largest multinationals uh, in the world, household names for all of us, and regional leaders. So this is a platform that's, that's aimed at all of them, potentially depending on what the nature of their relationship with Fonterra and NZMP is. So this is explicitly targeted, though, at our existing customer base. So as I say, we're not using this as a prospecting tool. Rather, it's something that offers a really highly personalized experience for our existing customers. And that's kind of the value, that they get the seamless online to offline experience, because when they log in, we've got details about where we ship their products to, what products they've bought in the past, so that they feel known, they feel that they're seen and they're valuable, rather than it being this kind of impersonal experience. And I guess that that also means that a lot of the complexity in what we've been building is ensuring that this integrates with our back-end system so that the experience for the customer is that they do feel that they're known and understood rather than an anonymous number. So yeah, it's explicitly targeted at our existing customer base. And you mentioned earlier about the GDT, which over the years has evolved quite a lot. Is this something that you anticipate is going to constantly evolve as well? Absolutely. And this was launched at the end of 2020. The MyNZMP platform itself for managing orders had been launched a couple of years before that. So we've actually started very slowly and very cautiously, and we've been rolling it out to a wider range of customers as we've been going. And that rollout is continuing. Just to give you a sense of where we're at, we've now made over 160 million US worth of sales through this platform. Now, that may sound like a lot, but actually in terms of Fonterra's business, our ingredients business is a multi-billion dollar business. So it's still only a relatively small percentage of our business going through this channel. So the first thing is that what we've got is continuing to grow and evolve and scale up. But also because it's been built very much in partnership with customers and based upon the feedback that we've had from interviews with customers, we're constantly looking for ways to improve it. So there's additional functionality that's being added. You know, the ability to track containers becomes even better. The interface becomes even more intuitive based upon that engagement with customers. So we're looking to offer a wider range of features online and to make this easier to use. And if you develop a platform and have it sit there, it very quickly becomes obsolete. And again, you know, the parallel in, in our lives, the kind of things that we're using day to day on our phones, those interfaces and those platforms look very different to the kinds of platforms we would have used online five or 10 years ago. So it will continue to evolve. That's for sure. What are your customers saying about it? To be honest, we were nervous about this because it's a big transition for some customers and for some people who've been doing business with us for, you know, for generations. And they've got very deep relationships with their account managers. So 
we didn't want this to be something that was a bad experience. We were confident that it would be a good experience, but the good news is that that's the uniform message that we've had. So we're constantly interviewing customers to check in on their experiences, but also we have regular questionnaires that are built into the platform itself. And the scores that we're getting, we're able to sort of benchmark that. And it's it's actually world-class results that we're getting. So it seems that what we aim to do, which was to build an intuitive and world-class, easy-to-use platform, we're hitting that mark. But as I say, there's always areas where we're looking to improve and it will continue to evolve. But the initial feedback is very, very positive. And I guess that feedback is useful in knowing where to take it in the future. Yeah, absolutely. That's sort of the guiding light is a good customer experience, but it also has to be good for our our own people because if you think about it, the roles of our sales managers and account managers around the world, they need to be comfortable with this tool too because when the customers are picking up the phone to talk to us, again, they need to understand that it's actually just one Fonterra that they're dealing with, whether it's the online or the offline world. So yeah, the future for this It's really about meeting that customer need and rolling it out at a continued scale. And then beyond that, we'll see where we go with it. But it's pretty exciting. What do you kind of see as the future for this platform? Well, it's really interesting when you start talking about digital platforms, some people get very excited about where that could take you. And we, you know, we know the household names, the Facebooks and the Googles and the like, and everybody's sort of thinking, you know, could this be the next big thing for dairy at least? For us... I think the starting point is a lot more modest than that. We know that this is going to be the key digital tool for us and our engagement with NZMP customers. And it could be in the future that we look for additional partners and services to offer through this platform. But really, the priority right now is about meeting those customer needs and rolling it out to even more customers around the world at scale. So that means that if we're meeting our customers' needs, it's a job well done and it's a a good basis for growth for those relationships. And you mentioned that it was only a small percentage of the overall business, so there's plenty of scope, clearly, for it to grow considerably. That's absolutely right. What we have seen is that we've got customers that we've rolled it out to and and we've selected very carefully because we think this is something that would suit their needs. They've responded very positively to it. They like it. Many customers, now this is the major way that they're buying NZMP ingredients, but there are other customers who have access to the platform for managing their orders or for getting insights or documentation and information, but we haven't yet turned on that functionality to allow them to buy yet because the time wasn't right yet. We hadn't built the integration and the scale to enable that. So what's exciting is over the next two years, we've got a very clear roadmap of how we're going to build up that functionality, that scale, that integration, and bring this solution that we know works to a wider range of customers. So there's significant growth potential, which is pretty exciting. And now it's time for the weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland at StoneX. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Jim. The dairy markets, while fundamentally not much has changed in the last week or so, um, from a sentiment perspective, there does seem to have been quite a big shift um it feels like you know we've been we've been going up pretty consistently now for for 6 or 12 months and a lot of the dairy products um but in the last week or so we've we've taken a breath and and actually started to take a step down in, in many areas i mean we saw late last week and early into this week on the the SGX market um we saw prices start to move lower in anticipation of a, of another lower GDT auction 
and actually the auction yesterday uh, was lower um, it was down one percent on average um, and whole milk in particular was down one point five percent um with skim milk powder still still up uh, up one percent but I guess the the key point here was that the demand side of the equation starts to uh, look a bit fragile here. Uh, particularly China. Um, there's been a lot of talk in recent uh, weeks about China not being in the market, actively uh, buying. And, and if you look at the, the, the statistics on the GDT yesterday, you can really see that as evident that they were buying a lot less than they normally would this time of year. And I guess if you look across uh, the rest of the world, I mean, these high prices are causing an impact. I mean, people are struggling to uh, to make it work and, and essentially they're they're stepping back from the markets, which is it was helping them bring prices down a bit. And um, we look at Europe, it's a similar story. I mean, we hit last week, uh, for example, in butter prices of up around 75, 7600 uh, euros per tonne. And now today, even already, we're trading down closer to 71, 25, 7,000 even has traded out uh, in, in quarter four. So really a big change in uh, in the last week there. And I think, again, it's it's not that the supply has been fixed. It's it's more that people are concerned the demand is starting to suffer. Um, we're starting to finally see these high prices filter through to the end customers. Um, retail negotiations in the likes of Germany have seen big price increases here. And, and I think the general expectation is that this is going to result in a in a slowdown in, in actually the purchases, basically. So uh, all in all, um, finally, some signs of a turnaround here. You know, if, if you look at the fundamentals, though, you look at the, the supply and demand balance table and, and stock estimates, the market is still tight. Um, so so certainly not a lot of people um, expect prices to to collapse from here. But I think really what what this is happening, what's been happening in the last week or so is, is just some of the panic buying been removed from the market and the market coming back a little bit more in line with, uh, with where the fundamentals are, are, um, are adding up to. Thanks, Charlie. We'll talk to you again next week. StoneX provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that does it for podcast number 175, which included, I guess, cow's milk, buffalo, and llamas. The next one is taking shape, but I won't count the interviews until they're actually done, so we'll see. Hopefully the noise from the television didn't come through on the recording this week as it's the Easter holiday here, so I should go check the rest of the house is still intact, and until next time, I hope you have a great week, stay safe, take care, and, as always, thanks for listening.